At the heart of many child abuse and neglect cases that come before the Allen County Courts is someone truly special. It's someone who partners with the child, their caregivers, teachers, therapists, and other important people in their lives to make sure that the child's needs are being represented in court. Throughout a case, attorneys speak for the adults, but hundreds of times a year, it's a court-appointed special advocate, a CASA volunteer, who stands up for the child. I'm John McGauley, and on this episode of In Session, we're talking about Allen County's CASA program and the volunteer advocates who make its mission possible. And I'm joined on the program today by just a few of the people who make up the heart and soul of a really remarkable organization, Allen County's court-appointed special advocates program known to most as CASA. On the program, CASA advocates Natasha Andrews, Michael Hardick, Karen Peterson, and Cindy Verduce, the recruitment and training specialist for Allen County CASA. Everybody, welcome to In Session. Thank you. Good afternoon. We've obviously got a really great group around the table today to talk about what CASA does and what it means to kids and families. Let's get started with a round of introductions. Tell me a little bit about yourselves and what drew you to the work of Allen County CASA. Let's start with Karen. Hi, um, good afternoon. So my name is Karen Peterson. I have been a CASA for eight years. Started with the organization in Monongalia County, West Virginia when I lived there. And then when we relocated to Allen County, I immediately sought out the Allen County group and became affiliated with the CASA organization organization here because I wanted to continue to serve in that capacity. So I've been at CASA for eight years, five here in Allen County. Michael, how about you? My name is Michael Hardick. I'm uh, kind of new to the CASA, but I took to it immediately. It seemed like the perfect fit for me. I'm a longtime Allen County resident and have volunteered for many organizations, whether it be Shrine Hospitals for Children, American Legion, VFW. And I saw a small blurb about CASA on YouTube, which is where everybody gets all their information now, and was immediately drawn to it. And it's been life changing. All right, welcome. And Natasha. Hello, I'm Natasha Andrews. Thank you for having me here today. My journey with CASA started about a year ago, and I've been happily serving um, the community since then. Previously, I was a foster parent, and so having to work with CASA on a different aspect allowed me to be able to see the work that CASA did and um, value the contribution that they have to the system and the community. Welcome. And last but not least, Cindy. Thanks so much. My name is Cindy Verduce. I'm, the, as you mentioned, the training and recruitment specialist for Allen County CASA. My journey with CASA has been from decades ago. I having worked in higher ed for a number of years, our criminal justice students were introduced to CASA and many of them interned with CASA. I was looking for a little bit of a retirement job, kind of coming to the end of my career and wanted to do something but still wanted to be involved. And training obviously is something I've done for decades and this really was a good fit with me personally in terms of working for an organization that really provides a true service to the community while not having to be as involved in the cases, but in recruiting those volunteers, they're going to make that big impact. Now, here's the most basic question. I promise this is the most basic one I'll ask all day long. In broad strokes, Allen County CASA advocates on behalf of children who are involved in abuse and neglect cases being heard in Allen Superior Court. Introduce us in more detail to the mission of Allen County CASA. Who wants to go first? So, I mean, I'm happy to. I think that our goal as an organization is to focus on advocating for the best interests of the children who are involved with the court as either victims of child abuse or neglect. Again, we serve all of Allen County. So in that role, we strive to ensure that they, the children, are in a safe environment and we're seeking permanency for them long term. Thanks. And something a lot of people may not know is that CASA is actually a function of Allen Superior Court. Talk about the relationship between Allen County CASA and Superior Court. 
first of all, CASA is not only here in Allen County, but in 88 of the 92 counties here in Indiana and in 49 of the 50 states. In other areas, CASA may be a nonprofit, it may be under a nonprofit, but here in Allen County, Allen County CASA is actually part of Allen Superior Court. We report to the judge. We are a party to these cases. And so we have a unique relationship with the court. The paid staff, for example, are, are all court employees. My email address is at allensuperiorcourt.us. So that makes us a little bit unique, but it also gives us a lot of great benefits in terms of the support to the organization in general. We do have a fundraising arm. The Allen County Coalition is a nonprofit that raises funds to help us support and train, retain our volunteers, but Allen County CASA is a part of the court. This may cover some ground we've already covered, but describe in further detail the the role Allen County CASA serves with the court. You mentioned the affiliation, the fact that the professional staff are all employees of the court. Talk about that relationship. What exactly is the role that CASA serves in the court? Sure. It's really interesting. In 1985, the judge in this court attended a conference where he heard about CASA in other parts of the United States and thought, there's a need for this in Allen County. So that need is what CASAs perform, and that is to be the advocate for the child. In a case like this, which is uh, Chen's case, or refers to a child in need of services, these cases, someone makes an allegation, DCS looks into it, they substantiate it, they bring it to a judge, a judge agrees, then a CASA is appointed to that case. Now, if you think about it, DCS has a role to play, the parents and their attorneys have a role to play, but the child has no one to speak for them. And so that's a really important part of what the judge needs to be able to make decisions about this case and the placement of the child. So these folks are monitoring the case. They are talking to the child, making sure the child has what they need, really kind of in place of that parent because the child has been removed from the parents. So this is to make sure no children fall between the cracks, that services that may have been court ordered are happening, and they can say to folks, Sarah has not had her appointments taken. We need to make sure we get her back on track. It's a little bit different but it's so, so important because the judge could not make those decisions without the information, the unbiased information that the advocates are bringing to the court. Natasha. I just also wanted to add as well, one of the very important things that we as advocates do as we are going through our case, we are actually able to make an actual report to the court of our findings, of our recommendations, of what we feel is going to be in the best interest of that child. And so through that, the judge is actually able to look at what we've prepared and actually receive an actual report prior to the case. So I feel like that's a very important part of the role of CASA in the court system as well. All right. Now, not just anybody can walk into the role of a CASA advocate. You know, we live in a community filled with big-hearted people who look out for each other. But like I said, not just anybody can do this. Somebody talked to me a little bit about the basic requirements for getting involved. Minimum age, training requirements, background checks, things like that. As a CASA volunteer, you have some benchmarks that you must meet. The first one is you must be 21 years of age or older. Then there is a very informal interview that happens with the office staff. And really what that is is so that they can not only get information about you, but so that they can kind of tell you what your responsibilities will be so that there are no surprises. They answer a lot of questions. Uh, obviously, you need to pass a criminal background check. And then we have a very extensive, it's about 30 hours of training that actually 
actually teaches you how the court system works, how to use the computer system that we use, how to create reports. The best thing about CASA is the fact that there it's a fantastic support system. You also have to shadow people in court just to learn what your responsibilities are. It takes all the surprises away. So the first time you're honored enough to be able to serve a child, you go in knowing that there's a huge team of people behind you who put you through extensive training. They prepare you and, and, and then that training, if, you're, if you really take to it, it goes on and on and on. You know, I would, Karen's been doing this for a very long time and, and I'm sure she could tell me many stories about, oh, I, did, I thought I knew, but I didn't know. Yeah, you always, it's continual learning opportunity. I mean, even after eight years, there are things that will happen inside of a case that I'm just not positive what the best next step is. Of course, I usually have an idea, but leveraging the coordinators is really important. The other thing that I would mention is I feel unfortunately sometimes even the word CASA will frighten people. You know, you think court appointed, you think special advocate, you think there has to be an enormous amount of perhaps education behind a role like that. Anybody who meets those basic requirements can serve as a CASA and contribute value. So don't let the name scare you off. Cindy and the team do a great job hosting various get to know us sessions, which I think are really, really helpful in uh, people understanding just more about the organization and, and creating a personal connection so that they can determine whether or not they're ready to take the next step um, in the training process. And Michael mentioned the, the training requirements. I mean, there's classroom training involved here. You're not, this, this isn't something you're just watching on a webinar. You're, you're here, you know, evenings and weekends, sometimes sitting in a classroom, you know, right here downtown learning what your job's going to be. Yes, and I feel too, the best part of the training was even be able to come in, have other advocates come in and talk to you. So you can kind of bounce some things off of them. And when we have the cases that we go through in the manual, just to even kind of have them come in and give their experience, their knowledge, their understanding was very helpful. The training was, was excellent. I walked away from it feeling confident that I was going to be able to come into this role and make a difference. Excellent. Now, Natasha, Michael, and Karen, you, know, you guys are a few of the many dedicated volunteers we've got on the program today who are involved in CASA, but it's just a drop in the bucket. How many women and men are currently volunteering to do this important work? Currently, we have about 135 volunteers, but we need many, many more. We have about 500 kids who do not have a CASA that are part of the court system right now. We appreciate the work that our advocate volunteers do, but they are volunteers, so we usually only give maybe one case at a time to a volunteer. That may be more than one child, but there, there are many more that are needed. Now, this is where we really get into why you guys do this job, and I, I, I'm looking forward to this part uh, as much as anything. For the volunteers, you all have families, responsibilities, other things that occupy your lives, yet you put hours and hours of your time into stepping up to help kids you've never met before. Why? What speaks to you about the work of Allen County Casa? Let's start with Natasha. For me, I want to be the voice to those that don't have one. Unique for my situation is the three cases that I have currently had have either been an infant or a child that has autism that is nonverbal. So for me, not being able to really go and ask that child questions about what's best for them or ask them questions about their care, I had to come to the table with some experience and also with the ability to talk to those that are around them, to talk to those that were serving them, and for them to have a voice. 
That's the most important thing for me. I have grandchildren myself. If I were never to be in their life or, you know, if they needed an advocate, I would want someone to do the same thing that I'm doing for someone else's child or grandchild. Michael. I find it to be very rewarding. You have the aha moment when you're dealing with the children that you represent where the light bulb goes off and and you realize that to no fault of this child's, they just haven't received the care that they deserve. They haven't had people helping them along the way. They haven't had a great support system. And the first time where that child opens up to you and says thank you because I know when I speak to you that I'm being heard. I know that then in turn my voice is going to be heard in court. And it's the little mile markers that matter the most. It's not the end of the road. It's as simple as the, the feeling I get when I get a phone call from a school and they say, oh, the child has been in school five straight days for the first time all year. And when asked about that, the child said, well, because Mike said it was important that I go to school every single day. So it, it's a constant reward. Sometimes those rewards are very small, but they're daily, they're weekly. You are making a difference. And, and when you're making a difference, and a child in the community, you know you're making a difference for someone who's going to be an adult in the community. Karen. Well, and I think for me, I mean, it's I've always liked kids. I have kids of my own. I've had experience working with folks that have challenges. And this situation, oftentimes, that kids are in is likely the most challenging situation they've experienced in their lives, unsettling. And they can often get lost in the process. So as I look back, even in my eight years as a CASA, the time investment in comparison to the reward is very, very high and you get the opportunity to serve children and be a constant force in sometimes what's a long process. Cases can last multiple years. The fact is that, you know, the DCS staff has a lot on their plate. There's turnover. Sometimes it's the CASA that's the only person that's the constant throughout the life of a, you know, multi-year case. So I just find that incredibly rewarding, and I feel lucky to be able to be a small, stable craft in that situation for the, the children that we serve. That is incredible and and generous and it's really got to be enormously rewarding. Karen, while I've got you on the mic, let's start the next question with you. Earlier, I used a very generic term for what you all do on behalf of kids, and it's advocacy. What does that mean? What kinds of things might you identify as a need for a child involved in a children in need of services or CHIN's case? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So it varies. Every case is unique. Every child is unique. I think that for me, the first step is usually beginning to develop trust and having a relationship so that you can get to know the kids and what it is that is important to them as well as what their needs might be. It could be counseling needs, it could be educational needs. I find that for some reason education and educational support is one of the things that I am constantly recommending to the court because I found that most of the kids that tend to be involved in these cases they tend to run into educational challenges their grades will slip like Mike mentioned they'll have truancy issues missed days at school so I think those are the types of things that I'm always on the lookout for it would be hard to say that these kids are in a situation where they have the opportunity to thrive right but what can we do to make sure that they're getting as close to thriving as possible possible as it relates to their medical needs, their emotional needs, their educational needs, and those types of support. And back to Cindy for just a second. While I'm cleaning up my terminology, I keep abbreviating the organization's name a little bit. You are officially known as the Allen County Office of Guardian Ad Litem CASA. For those who've never heard the term before, what's a guardian ad litem and what do they do to also support children in court? 
Here in Allen County, GALs, as you mentioned, guardian ad litems, are attorneys who are part of the court system and serve a very similar role to CASA. Now, because they're a part of our office, we're able to assist them and support them in a way where we are visiting the children in their home. We're making sure that the services are rendered, but then really in court, the guardian ad litem is working with that child. But we visit the children in their home, in their placement, which could be their own home in foster care or kinship placement or with a relative. And since I haven't put Michael on the spot first yet, we'll start the next question with you. Tell me what is a typical visit like with the kids that you've been assigned to work with, if there is such a thing as a typical visit. Yeah, they all are different. Different age groups are going to mean a different kind of visit. I personally always like to just start off with a lot of small talk. What's their day like? How do they feel today? And let that conversation lead into just a reminder of the things we talked about last time, because you have to have topics that you speak about to be able to get information that is going to be helpful in court. So it makes them feel comfortable. They remember what their answers previously were. And then I ask them, how do you feel about it? And then I'd say, well, this is how we're progressing. And then anything I think that it's going to be beneficial for the court to know the, the next time that we're there or as we check in, I ask them questions. Some of them are real soft and, and real easy because youth are going to open up when you talk about their feelings. They don't care about facts. They care about feelings. So I ask a lot of questions. Uh, well, how does that make you feel? Um, and, and sometimes it's as simple as, you know, in a perfect situation, if this could turn out exactly how you wanted it to, or if the court could know your exact words, what would you want that to be? And then so that we always end on a good note so that they look forward to seeing me the next time, you know, I say, okay, let's both have some things to talk about next time that we meet. And it can be as silly as maybe they want me to watch a TV show that they're watching or they're are interested in the video game and then I try to kind of give them a little bit of input with what my personal life is so oh, yeah I'm gonna go camping this weekend so I'm gonna tell you about my camping trip when I get back I think it's lighthearted it's not just brass tacks you're not gonna get the things to help them through those kind of interactions so you're just really trying to be there as someone that they feel free to talk to about a lot of different subjects and sooner or later you're gonna to get to the subjects that are the important ones for me, it, it absolutely varies based upon the age and the sort of relationship that we have with the child. We try to cover a lot of the things like Mike mentioned, you know, to develop those relationships and get them to feel comfortable. I always bring for little kids, I've got these little finger puppets, knitted finger puppets that I bring, and it's a good way to sort of interact with little kids. And they might not be verbal enough to be able to answer questions, but through the interactions, you can see what their status is as far as well-being and their health and, and their mobility, things like that. For older kids, I'm a big fan of just bringing Uno along and we'll play a game while we're having a conversation. It tends to disarm them a little bit and it tends to influence um, and infuse a little bit of fun. So we can have those sometimes tougher conversations. For older kids, I'll spend time talking with them about completing a youth court report, which is really important. I think, you know, they know I'm going to speak on their behalf, but when they have the opportunity to sit down with a form and write out how they're really feeling, what it is they look to see occur in the case, I think that can be very valuable. We talk about the things to expect in court. I'll sit with them. So, you know, I think preparing them for the process as well as developing that relationship will help foster the type of environment that'll get you the information that you need to be able to report back to the court. Natasha. Yeah, and I just wanted to share as well, like I said, in some of the cases that I've had, I've had two cases now that the child has had special needs and been nonverbal. So for me, it was more about 
making sure that I meet them where they are emotionally, being able to make sure that they know that I was a compassionate person, that I was caring for them, and just to be able to put them at ease, whereas with a person may have an autism, may feel differently about seeing someone new for the first time, just having something to whereas we could connect with one another, and that would make them feel more comfortable. Now, as CASA volunteers, you all communicate the information that you've been talking about and how you gather it and what you gather about the child to the court so that their voice can be heard and they don't get lost in the system. Why do kids need this sort of advocacy? Parents, other parties involved in a Chin's case have lawyers. Are you guys the main line of defense for kids in court? Karen. Like I mentioned before, these cases can be long. There's turnover in all areas. I think sometimes we can be the one constant. And it's very easy for the voice of a child to get overlooked in a larger proceeding. So I think you know the opportunity that we have to be able to get to know the kids, to advocate for them, as well as bring their voice to court, it's really important. It's very easily overlooked. And I think while the role we play can be considered small, it has, I believe, a strong impact in the long-term value for you know the kids getting where they need to go in the case ultimately um, resolving. Natasha. I was just going to say last year we ended up going through um, a CASA conference and we, to able to hear some of the kids that had gone through CASA speak about their experience and the thing that they valued the most was having a consistent person in their life through the duration of their case. As Karen mentioned, sometimes the cases can take quite a, a long time and to have that one consistent person that they know that they can go to that was advocating for them outside of caseworkers and all of that changing, we are a constant, and they felt that that was the most, one of the most valuable contributions to CASA. Michael. Once they understand that we're not there to judge them, that they can talk freely with us, they don't have to sugarcoat it, it, it opens a lot of doors because I'm not there to judge. I am there to gather facts. And they have maybe some other adults in their life that they are afraid to talk about certain topics with because there's going to be a repercussion for that. Where when they're speaking with their CASA, there is no repercussion. We take their facts openly without judgment. Now, this may be a two-parter, and perhaps for Cindy. How does CASA get involved in a court case? How do you identify a volunteer who is perhaps best suited to help a particular child? Sure. But before we do that, I, I want to kind of piggyback off what these folks have been saying about the importance of the CASA. Remember, these cases have been appointed by the judge who wants someone is, who is unbiased, who can let them know what's happening with that child. And I think that's something that is extremely important to the judge or the magistrate in these cases because, again, parents have been accused and have lawyers. And, you know, everybody has all these other priorities. And the CASA really is about the child and letting that judge know. And I think that's absolutely important. And obviously, the court thinks that's important to the case. So I, I just kind of wanted to add that a little bit and, and let all the volunteers know how important they are to the case because the judge couldn't make, this, the, make the decisions without them and the information that they bring. And let me add on your add-on. There is no better <laughs> feeling in the entire world than when the judge looks over the heads of the lawyers and over the heads of the other parties involved and looks to you as you sit next to those children and knows that you are the one keeping the facts and the thoughts of the children.
and it's a, it's the, simply the best part of it. Yeah, and just so valued, so valued, which is why we need more. Now, in terms of how how do CASAs get on the case? How do the volunteers get assigned to a case? Well, once the judge has made that order for a CASA to be assigned, it comes over, depends upon the caseload of the supervisors, and then it gets assigned to a supervisor. And then the supervisor looks at their CASA list and their caseload. And most importantly, they look for any special talents that the volunteers may have. I think Natasha's comment about working with a nonverbal autistic, obviously she has a gift in that area. Not every volunteer would know how to deal with children like that. We have nurses that are volunteers, and they may be needed on a case where there's some medical issues that they would be able to understand and help with. So we really look at the special gifts We will always need more volunteers who are bilingual. Just all those special gifts that the CASA volunteers bring are are really important. And we've been talking a lot, and rightly so, because they are so genuinely important to what you all do. But we've been talking a lot about the volunteers that give of their time so generously. But you also have an impressive professional staff that works for Allen County CASA every day. You know, in my day job, I see your staff in the courthouse all day long. What's the role of the professional staff? The way we organize things in court is that there's a judge and two magistrates, and then the supervisors are assigned to their courtrooms. So the same supervisor works with the same magistrate or judge in just the same way the CASA's volunteers are assigned to a supervisor. So everybody kind of stays in their same courtroom. But the supervisor has about 50 to 60 cases at a time. So can you imagine, they are so dependent upon the volunteers to provide them this information. But again, they're the professionals, so they're going to be able to help that volunteer make the best report they can. But I think, again, Karen's got eight years' experience working with her supervisor. I think she can explain that better than I can. From my perspective, you know, and I've worked in a couple of different CASA locations, I really want to commend the Allen County CASA group with the work that they do and the investment that they make in the office staff. I've seen it when it's not that way. And yes, you can be successful, but perhaps not thrive. You know, I've got a what I believe to be a really good relationship with my CASA supervisor, Nicole. I've been working with her since the beginning, so for five years now. I think that, you know, coming in with some experience, she knew that I was able to perhaps take on cases that were maybe a little bit more complicated. And through our working together, she's got the opportunity to see, you know, my strengths, my weaknesses, and my ability to serve the kids in Allen County. So I'm sure she takes that into account as she has new cases coming in and is very helpful to me in navigating issues or challenges that arise. Like I mentioned before, I mean, I have been at this for eight years, but there's oftentimes when something occurs that I'm, I'm still not exactly sure how to handle. Mm-hmm. So having that resource available as a volunteer is so very valuable. I think that, you know, without the strong office staff, we wouldn't be able to be as successful as we are. So um, again, it's about developing relationships, understanding skills and abilities, and then developing you know, the volunteers to the greatest ability. Now, as can happen from time to time, somebody from outside of Allen County may just happen to stumble upon this podcast. For somebody from outside the community, CASA is not just a local resource. Cindy touched on this earlier. It's all across the United States. I, I took a look at the Nationals website the other day. Over 900 organizations in 48 or 49 states, 98,000 volunteers, and nearly a quarter of a million kids that they're serving every year. Talk about, anybody who wants to feel this one, talk about the interaction you all have with the state and national organizations resources, best practices, do you occasionally get help with challenging scenarios, all of the above? 
Well, I mean, I can say that from my perspective, I've had the opportunity to go to many of the state conferences, which I think are really, really valuable. And I think um, Natasha touched on that a little bit too. It's great speakers, great information, very uplifting, and um, helps to give you sort of the, you know, the, the feedback and the drive to continue to do the important work. I've had the opportunity to work and get some education from those types of conferences as well as other just training opportunities. But having the support of the national group is helpful as well. One of the things that I learned about through the team here is even just a national, the national organization has a book club, which I'm a part of. So it's fun to read a book that is pertinent to this community. It's an educational opportunity, but it's also an opportunity to interact with people that are CASAs outside of our jurisdiction, which is really, really valuable. Cindy. Probably the biggest resource that we receive from National CASA is our training. The 30 hours that was mentioned, that pre-service training that's required, is provided to us from the national organization. So this is super high quality, just really hands-on training that relieves us from having to create this training. We just have to provide this training to the volunteers. And there are great examples, case studies that volunteers can go through that uh, help them to better understand what it's going to be like once they have have real cases. We also receive additional trainings, ongoing training from national and the state. The state provides each month a CASA Academy training on various topics that would be relevant. We had one recently on helping children deal with grief and death. We've had them on a sex trafficking, a number of issues. Because one of the things we do is we require volunteers to have 12 additional hours of training each year. Things change, new topics come up, and we believe that they they do, as Karen mentioned, need to keep learning and understanding some of the relevant topics that surround these types of cases. If you think about it, I don't think there's a parent in this world who wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to abuse my child today. But we do know there are risk factors associated with those. Mental illness, homelessness or home insecurity, physical abuse, drug and alcohol problems. If we can help our volunteers better understand some of these issues and how they can help their kids in these situations and or maybe what the children are going through or have seen based on these. We touched on the genuinely rewarding parts of this for the volunteers that brings you to this role and probably keeps you coming back. There are no doubt rewarding moments and challenging moments. What would you say to somebody who's maybe out there looking for a way to help out in the community? What should draw them to becoming a CASA volunteer? I would say for them to be able to use their knowledge and their experience, their life experience, to play a part in establishing a relationship, a connection with our community. As Michael mentioned earlier, the children that we are advocating for are going to be adults in our same community. And so we want to make sure that we continue the connection in the community to know that CASA is a valuable resource that we can offer the community for them to know that they can make a difference in someone else's life, for them to know that they can walk alongside a neighbor and know that they can add value to that person's life and, and to advocate for that child that may not have a voice um, or may not have someone to speak on their behalf, but they can truly make a difference in our community. 
it's going to be hard to follow that up. <laughs> so, but let me try. I think that if you have the heart and know that you can find the time, it's very rewarding. Some of the things that may be holding people back as they think about it is the huge time commitment. It's not a huge time commitment. You'll actually look forward to the time that you can give to this. And you'll find that the people that you interact with, they all want you to be involved. They welcome you into it. The teachers that you may have contact, they love seeing you. The different people who play a small part in these children's lives, they love knowing that there's a CASA involved. So I would say that anybody who has questions, don't be afraid to reach out. They're going to pick up the phone in the office and answer all your questions for you. And there are also other people out in your community already doing this. And, and we would love to speak with you and explain to you exactly what it is that we do. Because I think once you know all of the facts, that you're going to be drawn to it. Like I said earlier, it's been life-changing. I don't regret a minute of my time that I give to CASA. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why is we do see volunteers stay at it for a long time. I mean, it's a flexible opportunity in that the work that you do, you often schedule yourself, whether it's visits or what have you. The only thing really that's gets scheduled on your behalf would be court hearings, which of course, you know, is, is dictated by the court. But the CASA supervisor is always there. So if something happened and you couldn't make court, they're, they're available to sort of be there on your behalf. So I do think there's an enormous amount of flexibility. The other thing that I think is important, I kind of mentioned it a little before, is that the time investment in relation to the impact in the community is really, really significant. So if you only have a few hours a month, once you get through the training, CASA could potentially be a suitable opportunity for you to be able to give back. And if you need to take a break, you can take a break. There was a time um, when I had been on a case for a number of years and I let my supervisor know that at the end of the case I was going to take a short break. It was about six weeks, but it was enough where I felt like I was able to recharge my battery and take the opportunity to look at the next case with fresh eyes and, uh, and an open heart. So there is some flexibility built in that I think is really helpful. And that brings me back. A years long case and a six week break. I think that's a pretty fair trade. <laughs> it was three years, believe it or not. <laughs> it's a three year long case. <laughs> Now, I mentioned earlier that CASA is a part of Allen Superior Court, but you all do a lot of fundraising on your own to support the work of the program. Maybe somebody can't volunteer, but might be able to spare a few bucks. Uh, perhaps for Cindy, can people donate to support the program? Absolutely. As I mentioned before, we do have an arm of CASA, the Allen County CASA Coalition, which is a nonprofit, and they raise funds specifically to help us train, educate, and retain our volunteers. So we do need funds to help us with that. We also use the funds to pay for training if there's a cost. There's never a cost to the volunteer for any of our training. We always absorb that cost, and that is done through the coalition. They help us uh, with those types of things. So if anyone is interested, the easiest way is to go to our website, allencountycasa.org. Uh, where you can get more information on how to volunteer or to donate. You can call our office. It just really allows us the opportunity to treat our volunteers as the professionals they are through additional training and support. And hopefully we've been able to pique the interest today of somebody out there with a heart for helping kids and families. If somebody wants to step up and volunteer, how do they reach you? Is the website the best way to get to you? Sure. The website's always a great way to do that. You know, you can contact me directly. You can just Google Allen County Casa, but I'm at cindy.verduce at allensuperiorcourt.us. But yeah, the website's a, a great place because there you can really read and get additional information and fill out a form. I do the CASA 101s, which are kind of an orientation to CASA every month. So folks can sign up to attend those and ask questions 
or you can just come in and make an appointment and sit down. I can talk to you about the program, answer any questions or concerns. It's about giving people information and then letting them uh, make the decision if this is the right kind of volunteer opportunity for them. Also understand that this is a professional volunteering position. You don't need to have special skills, but you do need to be able to read the reports, write reports. We can help you with that. But this is a very important volunteer position. You have a lot of responsibility to the child. And so we do make sure that we screen our volunteers appropriately. Some people say, well, you know, I was, you know, a foster child growing up. Does that disqualify me? Absolutely not. As long as folks have the emotional capacity to handle some of the work we do, they're more than welcome to apply to be a volunteer. Give your email address one more time and spell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y dot Verduce, V as in Victor, E-R-D-U-C-E at allensuperiorcourt.us. I just want to thank you all for being on the program today. It's been a real privilege talking with all of you. You're the kind of dedicated and generous people that every good community depends on, sometimes without our even knowing how important you are. So, Natasha Andrews, Michael Hardick, Karen Peterson, and Cindy Verduce of Allen County's Office of Guardian Ad Litem Casa, thank you so much for being on In Session. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having us. This has been In Session, an inside look at the Allen County, Indiana courts. You can find out more on this topic and others at allensuperiorcourt.us. Thanks for listening. The next episode's coming right up.